Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Chip Chantry. And uh, we have a special guest with us here today. Um, our, our guest today is the founding member of a rock and roll Hall of Fame band that has sold 160 million albums worldwide, seven number one singles. Uh, welcome, David Bryan of Bon Jovi. Thank you. That sounds, uh, let's etch that on my tombstone. I like that. A couple more things in there. We need a couple more lines, but we're getting there. Well, we've got um, Grammy winner, yeah. Tony winner. Yeah, four, four Tonys. Four Tonys? Yes. Wow. That's, um, that's what's, what's a bigger deal to you? Like winning the, to like winning the Tonys or Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, I want to tell our listeners uh, actually how how you came to be on this episode how how I've I've uh, I bump into you occasionally. Uh, your daughter Gabby is a very funny, very smart stand-up comedian. Uh, I've worked with her a bunch of times. She actually was in. Um, we we ran out of money, but we started shooting a movie that uh, Bonnie McFarlane and I wrote. And Gabby not only was in it, but was nice enough just to help us with everything. Um, like volunteer, she like uh, she helped us get our shit together, and um, couldn't be there. Couldn't be like a lovelier, nicer person in in the world than your daughter. And um, the first time I saw you, so you you go to every show I've ever done with her. You've been at you you were. Um, You've told me you're a much bigger fan of stand-up than you are of music. It is true. Growing up, I had more comedy records than music records. So I was, I'd was i be always in my room listening to everything I wasn't supposed to listen to, from Richard <laughs> Pryor to, you know, with the headphones on, because my parents had no idea what anything was. Yeah. So I would listen to these records, and uh, I just loved comedy. And even in my band, I'm the funny guy. And I'll always, you know, I always look at the world like in those. I love those smart comedians that just... You know, they approach the world from somewhere else. Like you come around the side and just have a viewpoint that's, you know, uh, intelligent and fucked up, you know, which is <laughs> my favorite kind of comic. Can we curse on this? We're allowed yeah, to? Have, yeah, have at it. Who were uh, who who some of the big comics or favorite albums that you had that pop out from being a kid? Oh, it was, it was Richard Pryor. It was George Collin, uh, Cheech and Chong. Um, I loved uh, uh, Fred Sanford. Yeah, Actually, Red Fox. Red Fox. Oh yeah, Red Fox. Red Fox. Um, I used to. My father would get like these uh, these cassette tapes. He would have in his car of like the Friars Club roasts, and I would like sneak into the car because that's the only tape player we had, and uh, listen <laughs> and listen to the tapes. So you know all these dirty comedians, and it was so funny. That's great. I, I don't Ken, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but when I was about I was probably three or four years old. My dad had an old 72 uh, Chevy Malibu with an eight track player in it. And I remember getting into the car and driving and he turned the radio on at one point and he must have been in the middle of a track. And it happened to be George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words. And so like the radio just started playing. And again, I'm three or four and I just hear these ter terrible words that I know are bad, but I'm not allowed to say. And I just remember being so intrigued because I didn't exactly understand what was happening or that this was comedy. It was just a man saying bad, bad words and then people laughing at him. And I thought maybe something was wrong with him. And that's why they were laughing at him. But it was the one of the most intriguing things I've ever heard in my entire life. And that was my introduction to stand up comedy is being a four year old hearing seven dirty words. And also Steve Martin, you know, that wild and crazy guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So to see. For my daughter actually to go into comedy uh, is great. You know, it's it's just great for me. I'm like, I love that stuff. And she's fearless. You know, she's great at it. Is it? Yeah, she is definitely fearless. And she doesn't hold back with her dad in the audience. Is it ever? Um, I, I feel like it probably isn't for you because I, I see how supportive you are. Like, you always come with a crew, too. Like, you bring a lot of people to watch Gabby. And um, does it ever get uncomfortable hearing, you know, she's she's pretty explicit. She's she's not really a clean comic. Does does it get uncomfortable for you ever? 
I'd say triple X. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> she, uh, I think the other show that we were at, uh, I got, I'm sorry, dad, three times. Usually I get like a one time, but that was a three timer. So I just laugh. I mean, it's, you know, it's comedy. What, you know, that's the, I, it's funny as hell to me. Yeah. And what's, what's great about her chip. I don't know if you've, if you've ever worked with Gabby. I she, haven't worked with her yet. No, she is so bubbly and so pleasant and so fun to be around. And then she gets on stage and the shit that comes out of her mouth just is not, it doesn't match up with what you're expecting. And, uh, which is great. Cause it's, it's, it, she's a killer. You don't see her coming. That's great. And nothing like I always had a pretty girl telling dirty jokes. You know, that works. <laughs> the dichotomy of those two things. Like I'm looking there, but it's sounding different than it's looking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's great that um, that you're always there, that 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 you support her. So like I remember for me, my, I think my dad only came to see me twice. And um, but he came to see me the first time I headlined ever. And uh, he sat front row center. And for me, that was just so cool. Like I look, I mean, it was it was nothing memorable about the show. But when I when I look back on the things I've done, I always think of and like now now that my dad's passed, I always think like I'm so lucky that he at least got to see me start this. You know? Yeah, that's great. So um, you. Uh, we we were talking the other night. It's, so it's funny. Every time I bump into you, I feel like I'm obviously such a huge music fan. Every time I bump into you, you're talking comedy to me and I'm trying to talk music to you. And fun. yeah, it brings us back to like the convert. It's like that age old cliche where it's like every rock star wants to be a comedian and every comedian wants to be a rock star. Like, I, I do comedy because all the musical talent in my family passed me over. If I, I come from a musical family. Um, my brother can play just about any instrument by ear. My grandfather led his own orchestra, uh, like in the 50s and 60s. He was a big band leader and, wow. and worked with some greats. Um, my mom could play piano. It's everybody in my family got some of it and it just completely skipped over me. So I had to learn how to tell dick jokes to get attention. You know, we all have to do what we have to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, so all things, if you could be equally successful in either, I get the feeling you would choose stand up comedian over musician. God, that's always a hard what if game, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I just want to do it all. I would, I would say I want it all because they kind of like, it's just, just as much fun. It's like, you know, the same kind of question, like for uh, my Broadway shows, do I like in that world, I compose and I dream it in my head. And then I, I make, I teach it to everybody, but I don't get to perform it. And then in my band, I get to write and make records, but then I get to take it out and perform it, which is the fun, the, you know, really fun. Mm -hmm. And then comedy. I love that. I mean, I did get to go up on stage once. Mm -hmm. with gabby actually i was she was at the stand in new york and i brought up we were doing this was before the pandemic shutdown of broadway so i brought the whole crew of diana to the show and gabby's doing her shtick and she was talking about her bat mitzvah and she goes i can't remember the theme and i went oh my god i'm gonna heckle my kid like i was that allowed like is there i need a ruling you know and i was like okay i'm doing it i went it was money I screamed out. The theme was money. And she goes, she goes, Dad, you can't out me like that. She became like a 13-year-old Jewish girl. She's like, I told them my friends we had no money and I got my bat mitzvah in a shed. <laughs> so then afterwards, she's like, hey, you want to come up and uh, I'm playing the way station in a couple of days in a small little place that's I don't think it's open anymore. Like with 20 people in it, like to do comedy. I'm like, sure. And then that night at like four in the morning, I woke up in the cold sweats. I'm like, oh my God, I fucking said yes. I don't have, I have nothing. I have no, I have nothing, right? I got a couple of, couple of shtick jokes, but I don't have a lot. And uh, I was like, I called her up. I go, Gab, I, I, I don't know. I think I need to start somewhere smaller. She goes, this is the small. It's like you're home and then you're there. <laughs> this is it. That you're not, the 10, if you bomb in front of 10 people, fuck it. You know, and I'm like, okay. So uh, I went there and all these comedians were going on. And I was like, oh my God, they're like really, they're comedians. And I went, I'm fucked. And at least there was a piano, a piano there because she was doing some some song. So she had done a, a dirty comedy song called Come Smoothie. 
Right? I was like, <laughs> that makes your dad proud. You know, I'm like, okay, that, that's pride. So um, I get on stage and uh, they go, and she goes, now my dad. I go, I almost had a fucking heart attack. I can play in front of like 500,000 people, no problem. And I was like, wow, my fucking, I was the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Wow. And I get up there and uh, she goes, how you doing? How you feeling? I go, disappointed. <laughs> and, and the whole and she goes, uh, why? I go, what's with that song? Come smoothly. Goes, it's not smoothly. It's smoothie. <laughs> well, that must have made so, you feel better. So at least yeah. got me in and I started playing a little bit of piano. And she's like, can you stop playing Bon Jovi songs? I go, no, it's all I know. I'm not in a fucking cover band. I only know my songs. I played any people's songs in other people's songs in years. Do you know what's do you know what's funny? This is this is how dumb I am. The the first time I saw you speaking of cover bands, the first time I met you was at Stress Factory and uh, in New Brunswick and I was on a show with Gabby. And afterwards there was um you were sitting at a table, there was a little bit of a crew of people around you and who I guess whoever was there found out that you were there and they started playing Bon Jovi songs. They played like three in a row. And I remember looking at you. I didn't know you were Gabby's dad. I didn't know who you were. And I remember thinking, like, what is this dude in some kind of Bon Jovi cover band? Like, <laughs> it didn't occur to me. And then somebody was like, no, you idiot. He's in Bon Jovi. And I was like, oh, that makes way more sense. <laughs> like, I'm in, I'm in a club, you know, what, like 15, 20 minutes from where you grew up. And yeah. it doesn't even occur to me that that like somebody from Bon Jovi would show up at, at the comedy club. And then I found out you were Gabby's dad and I, I had no idea. Oh, it's, it's great. I mean, I, like I said, I love the world of comedy. I really do. Now, in comedy, obviously, one big difference is that you don't have a band with you. It's just you up there. Have you ever I know you've released some solo stuff. Have you ever performed solo before, like musically or, or have you always played with a band? No, I, I do both. I do a lot. I actually, I got to play uh, Carnegie Hall for this wow. one. It was a charity deal. So I got to, I got to actually play piano and sing and guitar and sing. So that to me, it was like, you know, your, your whole life is like, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. practice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a, I've had classical lessons for 15 years since I'm seven. So that was like a major, major thing. And then I just worked it into me playing, me playing solo, like just getting up there and playing. And even last night, uh, the struts were at the Stone Pony. Yes. They're really, really great. And they were great. And, and uh, I said to the, uh, the singer on the break, I said, hey, I go, you want to do Living on a Prayer? He goes, sure. I go, well, he played piano. I go, so you're going to play piano and we'll sing together? He goes, no, you play piano. I went, oh, right. Okay. I, gotta, <laughs> I better not drink this shot of tequila for one second. And, uh, have some kind of brain in me. And, uh, and I played it and we sang it together, which is great. So I love doing that stuff. Oh, that's great. That's got to be almost, um, yeah, because that's like no pressure. That in in some ways, that's probably even more fun. Oh yeah, but I mean, it it is nicer when you play with other people because if somebody fucks up, at least you, if I fuck up, I can blame it on somebody. You know, when you're alone, <laughs> it's my fault. Like, well, that that's what's so scary about comedy, right? It's yeah. that you're just alone up there. And um, if it goes wrong, you there's literally nobody to blame. It's it's all on you. That's why you got to turn around and start attacking the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people because you've told me that story before about not being able to sleep the night before you tried stand up. And when people ask me how tough it is, I tell them your story and then. Somebody said to me, uh, I, I was telling that story the other day, and, and my friend was like, that doesn't seem that crazy. Like, Because you told me you were way more nervous than the first time you played Giant Stadium. Oh, any show that yeah. I've ever played. And I'm not really nervous. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Because I've been playing my whole, you know, since I'm seven. And you're playing in a band. And, you know, you're, it's just way different. And that was like, holy fucking shit. I'm a I'm, Wow, am I scared, you know, in front of these 20 people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what that's what my friend said. He was like, well, it's not what he does. It's not what he's comfortable. Like, imagine if you were to wake up the next morning and go play piano at Giant Stadium. W wouldn't you be more nervous? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess when you put it that way, that does sound like it makes a ton of sense. Totally. So um, what can you remember? So one thing comics love to do, like comics, like the stories about 
our wins and our success is never any fun. Like the the stories comics tell um, are the bombs and the shit shows and the nightmares. Those are the funniest stories. So do you do you remember the the worst show you ever played? I think I was six. <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, no, we don't. You know, as in anything I've ever played, we're never bad. And especially like Bon Jovi stuff. Every yeah. show, we're, we're really good. And then some nights it's magical. Yeah. <laughs> but we've never gone off the stage and go, wow, do we fucking suck. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, that happens to me three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> Minimum. <laughs> that long drive home is always a good time just to reflect, just to reflect on all of your life decisions. I mean, I'll have like if, if I'm playing and my and my finger just like touches the next note, even though I didn't play a wrong note, it even it just touches it. I, I beat myself up. I'm like, mm -hmm. fucking, I yell at myself. I give myself a good yelling. Oh, really? <laughs> I just I'm my, my attitude's always like, well, that didn't go totally off the rails. So I feel like. um, I also feel like there there's an interesting. Like with like being in a band. Nobody's coming to hear like the, the big difference to me between comics and musicians n for the most part, once you hit a certain point, how, how long has Bon Jovi been around now? Uh, me and John started in it well, was a cover band. I, I joined his cover band in 1979 when I was 17. And then we had run away in like 81. Mm -hmm. We got signed. And then in 83, or 82, and then 83, we got a record deal and recorded the first record. And then 84, we came out with the first record. All right. So, so like you're, you're, years ago. you're 40 years in the, in the same band. Yeah. Um, I'm ready for my gold watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's got it. That's got to be tough, right? Like that's, it's almost like being in several different marriages at once. I would imagine, like just managing each different personality and. Yeah, I always said it's like a sexless marriage with, <laughs> with all the headaches. <laughs> so it's like any 40 year marriage. Exactly. Um, but I think what like what's what I like about comedy is people always want to hear your new stuff. Like, no, like it's weird. Like once. There's something about a song and you love it and you can hear it 50 million times. And if you guys do a show without playing your hits and the songs everyone knows, they leave disappointed. Oh, um, yeah, which you can't, which is like, you know, it's like going to see, you know, uh, uh, Paul McCartney and he doesn't do, you know, let it be. Right. You know, you right. Yeah. go like, wow, you fucked me, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's like with a comic, you hear a joke once and the element of surprise is ruined. And then you, you're like, well, what else do you have? Like I had some, I remember doing, um, I, I was at Stress Factory. Uh, I, did, I did a shows maybe two weeks apart and somebody came up to me after they were at both shows and somebody came up to me and they were like, you know, you did a lot of that same material a couple weeks ago. Be my fucking agent. <laughs> and they were disappointed. I'm like, you know, you didn't see me like a decade apart. The, the, yeah, this is this is how I this is how I do it. You you got to do it over and over, and and work it out. But well, we always strive for like that's been the thing with the band is we've always strived to get that new, you know, don't rest on your laurels. Get mm -hmm. a new a new record out and you want to kind of create a bridge, something that's not totally left. Like we're not all of a sudden a disco band or a DJ band, you know, something that has an element of what you were and what you want to move on to. Right. And I think that's always been our, we, we try and try and try and try and, you know, the, the eighties were great to us. The nineties were tough because of in America, you had alternative music, mm -hmm. which, you know, everybody, we were all, we were all of a sudden alternative. And then all of a sudden they became number one. So now they're popular and we're actually, we were alternative. Yeah. And, and that fucked them up. Everybody was like, oh, my God, we can't be popular. And, you know, it, it, it killed that killed them because they killed themselves. Mm -hmm. And then 2000 happens and we have It's My Life and everybody's like, wow, they're back. And we're like, we never went away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we've been here. And then but if the rest of the world in the 90s didn't get alternative music and we played 
you know, in the eighties, we played 180 countries. We wow. just went around to everybody, you know, everybody, every place on the planet that you could play. We did. And then we kept going and going. And then even now we had a record out called 2020. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> what a great year. What a great fucking year. So, you know, we're going to, we, we've been in going, uh, recording some other songs, just trying to, we're going to, we're going to be out, you know, next year probably. And Bill uh, definitely. And then we'll add something to that because we can't just throw away that record. You know, we put so much into it. We, and I hate to ask people like their favorite of something, but you say, you know, you've toured all over the world. Any place or places that have just blown your mind that just that were so bizarre or so beautiful or just nothing you expected? Gosh, there's so many. But I, I always love playing Giant Stadium just because it's like the home of my Giants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I always go up like during like sound check when nobody's there and I sit in my giant seats, you know, my they're mine. And I sit in those seats. I'm like, how cool is this? I'm playing a fucking concert here. Yeah, you know, and then and then when I'm done, I get to drive home to my yeah. house. <laughs> yeah, sleep in your own bed. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's actually good. You're like, okay. It's... Yeah, and, that... and I think there's something you you said that I thought was really interesting that I try to do, and I think for any kind of performer, whether it's you know uh, music, comedy, Broadway, whatever it is, is like where you said that there's you have your good nights and then you have your magical nights or your amazing nights. You know, and I think. So the, I think a big part of that is you said that Bon Jovi always strives to have that that new music that you're kind of, you know, and I think what that really does is it, it gives you something to be excited about. It's like, OK, this is our new thing. And when I know I always if I do a, a set that doesn't have any new jokes that I haven't written, I I don't bomb, quote unquote bomb a whole lot. But I've had a lot of very mediocre sets where it's you just kind of go on autopilot. And I think that's a big part of performing is just like kind of getting yourself out of that comfort zone and you you know that's when it's it could go bad but it it really does give a performer that excitement so i so i think that might be part of it i think that's i don't know ken if you if you agree oh yeah for sure i mean i've i've i i bomb quite a bit but um if i have if i do a if i do a 25 minute set and 20 minutes of it is bombing but 5 minutes of it is my new material starting to click and come together and i'm starting to like the way it sounds uh i'm i'm excited like that's that's a win for me yeah. and and i'll i'll even um even as I'm performing, like I don't, I don't know, David. I don't know if if uh, musicians' minds work like this, but when comedians are up there, you're not even thinking about the joke that you're telling. You're just kind of your mouth's moving and the words are coming out, but you're thinking about what am I going to do after this and what am I going to do after that. You're you're almost three or four jokes ahead of of where your voice is. And uh, I'll start getting excited. Like if I know that my new stuff is somewhere in the middle there, I, it, I, that excitement will carry me through. And I think actually helps me do the older stuff uh, with a little more enthusiasm and not feel like I'm just sleepwalking through it. Yeah, ours is a little different. Ours is more like a, it's like a sporting team. Like right before we go on stage, we all suit up, you know, like a, a half hour before stage time. You know, everybody gets dressed. We get all our... You know, we suit up and then when we're ready to go, we all put our hands in like a sports team. And like, oh, we look at each other in the eyes and go, let's have some fun and kick ass. And then you go out there and you just start this thing. And it's not even, you know, some, it's sometimes it'll go by in like a minute. All of a sudden you go, wow, I'm walking off the stage. And uh, the only thing we have a set list. So I keep you always you know what's like mm-hmm. next. So sometimes your eyes will jump to like to like two songs ahead and you you go to start it and you go, wow, that's not the right song. <laughs> um, those kind of things can happen. But it's more about like you're just in this zone once you get into there that we have that set list or but John's always fun where he'll turn around and he'll go, OK, not that song. We're going to do this song. We call them audibles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I go, OK, great. Then you're like uh, you, you hate him for doing that. And I love him for doing that because it puts everybody in that non-comfort zone. Yeah. So, but it's really like you just get into the zone and you just do it. You don't even think about like the song. Like people are like, oh, you played "Living on a Prayer" a million times. I'm like, it's not the song. It's just you st- I start this thing and everybody goes fucking crazy, and it's just the greatest feeling. So it's not like, wow, I have to play this again. It's never like that. Yeah, that's good. And I guess you really do have to relax because. The, you know, one bad thing about standup is that it's all on you if it doesn't go bad. But you also don't have to rely on anybody else. You can do whatever you want for the time you're on stage. I, 
I, I'm assuming it, it after doing it for 40 years, I'm sure it's easier, but I, I'm sure there is a concentration. Is there a concentration that you really do have to lock in with the other guys on stage? Is it pretty much you guys know what you're doing? It's business as normal or, or do you guys really have to lock in with each other when you're playing? Yeah, it's definitely it's. You know, we always said, you know, the, the sum of the whole is greater than the parts. You know, it's like everybody's putting into this machine and all of a sudden it goes and you're like, wow, this, this fucking thing is riding. So, no, we all look at each other and we fuck with each other, like musically. Tico will do something, you know, our drummer, he'll like, da, 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 you know, I'll play a da, 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 back at him. You know, so we're always like, we're always on par. You know, we're always looking at each other and always fucking with each other in a good musical way. Right, right. I love what you said about uh, not resting on your laurels with with the new music, too. Like, I always respect bands, especially bands that have been around for so long that just keep constantly touring a new album. Like, it's it would be so easy to do like and I love them, you know, but the the who will go 25 years without putting out an album, but they'll still tour every couple of years. And um I love that, like, I saw I saw my first concert the other night post-pandemic. I was at Cheap Trick at the Basie. And this okay. is there's another band that's been around for 40 years, 40-plus years. And they just put out, like, I, I don't know, like their 30th studio album. And they're still working the new songs in. And, and you can see them still getting excited for, for the new stuff. Even though the whole place sat down and people went to, to get beers, you can tell that they were excited for it. Yeah, that's always the hard thing is that, you know, your new song, like you play and everybody goes, ah. <laughs> it doesn't matter for us. You're just like, ah, here's the new thing. And, you know, your diehards will sit there and go, oh, let me listen to that. Or, or they, you know, or they've already had the record. Yeah. You know, so they can, we always said the best promotion for an album is a tour and the best promotion for a tour is an album. Yeah. It is is weird. Like it's gotta be weird when there's something new. Like I always like when, when a band's like, Oh, this is, you know, this single came out last week and you look around and there's people already singing along that, that know the words. Yeah. That's, that's... great. And you're like, okay, it worked. <laughs> that's gotta be a wild feeling. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, your new musical. So I started out in the musical world in like uh, 1998, I was just doing songwriting outside of the band. And then uh, this, I never grew up in musicals. Didn't really, you know, I'm a Jew. So I saw Fiddler on the Roof. You have to go <laughs> your bar mitzvah. It's, uh, it comes with the, uh, comes with this, the mission statement. Um, and then I just never was a fan of it really. And this musical came in for, uh, I got this script from my agent about Memphis, which is the first white DJ to put black music mm -hmm. on the radio. And set in 1950 when it was illegal for a white person, and a black person to be married, you know, and you go, wow, that's not that long ago. No. And my first band with John was Atlantic City Expressway. We had it was a 10 piece band with a five piece horn section. So we did all those songs like Hold On, I'm Coming in the Midnight Hour, mm -hmm. Knock On Wood. So I, you know, I was paid handsomely seven dollars a night to, uh, <laughs> to learn those songs and play those songs and feel those songs. So when this came up, I was like, wow. And my collaborator, Joe DiPietro, was a, 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 he wrote the story, they called the book, and then he was writing some lyrics. So I, I called him up. I heard he had some lyrics, and, and I heard every song. And I called him up. I said, I hear every, every song. He goes, you hear anything else? I go, there's other voices in my head, but you know, <laughs> once you get to know me, we'll discuss that. And um, so he goes, pick any song and get it to me. So I picked a uh, song called Music of My Soul, which to me was the heartbeat of this lead character. And... He's, I said, well, I'm a lyricist. Can I add lyrics? He goes, yeah. So I hung up the phone. It was 1 o'clock. I knew I had FedEx was at 6.30 because there wasn't internet then, you know, good internet. Right. So I went down to my studio where I'm at now. I went down here. I was like, I, I, I finished up the lyrics. I, I did some other stuff, wrote some verses, fixed up the chorus, and then put a drum machine down. I played piano, organ, guitar, bass. I sang it. I sang all the backgrounds. I mixed it. I burned it to a CD. I made it to the, Fed the fucking FedEx guy at like 6.15. I'm like, here it is. And he had it on his doorstep the next day. And he goes, uh, and it's the same way in the show. And he's like, you got the gig. <laughs> and then we worked together. And then it took eight years to get to Broadway, which is wow. like, that's like uh, four rock and roll careers. Yeah. And uh, and we got it to Broadway and we were like the little engine that could. We're an original musical. 
you know, songs not rehashed, not from a movie, not mm-hmm. from songs that are out already. And uh, and we won. You know, we we went in there and we uh, beat Green Day had a record out. I mean, they had a musical. Yeah. You know, but that was a record, so they they weren't original. And mm-hmm. we were rewarded for our originalness. But um, at the Tonys was the greatest thing we won. You know, I won for best music and lyrics, best orchestrations, uh, best musical, and we produced it and, and best producer. So wow. it just was, you know, that was a fucking good night. Yeah. Does that blow your fucking mind that like you're you're somebody sends you a book and you're sitting at home tinkering around and and you mail a cd out and eight years later you're you're like sweeping the tonys that's that's it's got it when i walked up to get everybody's like who the fuck is that guy (laughs) i'm like that's right and then we had another one which will be our next one uh, called chasing the song which we had a full production of about the first woman uh, in 1960, was set in the Brill Building. She was the first woman song mm-hmm. publisher. Mm-hmm. So at the time, women needed a man to co-sign for a loan, like any man. The good old times, we would call that. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was all like champion women's rights. So we were we were like six years in, ready to go to Broadway. And Joe DiPietro goes, "Hey, listen, I got I had this idea. What about a musical on Princess Diana?" I was like, "What?" I go. <laughs> Well, she's about our age, mine and Joe's. Yeah. So exactly our age. And um, I was like, wow, she's like, America loves her. And, uh, and and the world loves her. English, you know, England, it's like 50-50. But America, we all love her. Because we don't have kings and queens. We have, I don't even know what we have. We have some <laughs> sort of government. But um, uh, so I was like, yeah. He goes, well, let's get a shot. He goes, let's, he goes, I know you can write rock and roll. He goes, but what about like writing a song for the queen? Because now I had to get everybody to, to sing, which, you know, they sing Happy Birthday. They sing God Save the Queen, except for the Queen. I guess she sings God Save Me or something. <laughs> I don't know. So I, like, we gave it a shot and I wrote this song for the Queen. And like, I was like, oh, it has to be like snare drums and regal horns. And so I wrote this whole thing and he loved it. And then we, we went to town on it. And I was like, let me give every character a voice. So Diana would be like pop rock of the 80s. But always like modernized looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, the Queen was regal with snare drums and horns. Uh, Charles, because it's all about the love triangle. And Charles, uh, he's like, it's a it's a rock song, but set in like a string quartet all the time. And then Camilla's like light FM, you know, like uh, acoustic <laughs> guitars. And the paparazzi is the clash, you know, ugly, you know, killing everybody. And, uh, and then I was like, what if I put like, I have one song where I have a classical piece and rock and roll over Bach. So I was trying to like, in my mind, it sounded really easy. And then when I did, I was like, wow, this is fucking hard. <laughs> but uh, I got them all to do it. It was the fastest we ever, any show got to Broadway in like three years we're on Broadway because it's such a great title. And, uh, and we got it. And then we got, we raised like, you know, a lot, 18, 19 million bucks to put it up. We put it up nine previews in and they're like there's a pandemic i'm like what the fuck is a pandemic <laughs> and uh they shut us down march 12th and i was i was it that was a thursday and sunday i was in bed with coronavirus it was, i was like wow this shit is real yeah and it, i was sick for like three months it fucked me up but wow. i was 100 good after that and then we're like okay what can we do you know we, we had two weeks to flatten the curve and and we're going on like, you know <laughs> two fucking years right that's the longest two weeks i've ever seen so we had an idea. What if we what if Netflix, we could go into the theater again because everything stayed and and film it, you know, under strict you know, protocol, right. protocol. It was kind of crazy. But we did film it and we were the only show to never not open. Usually you open up and then you film it and then it's on like a streaming service. And we're like, let's use this and come out before the musical because we never know when the Broadway was going to be back. So we did it. It's fucking great. And then we're back on stage November 2nd uh, at the Long Acre again mm-hmm. for previews. And then the 17th, we open up and then it, it flies, you know. So we're, I couldn't be happier because people are going to see the, so we got, we got a chance to take the original and change it. We did some really good changes. We would have, we re- would have ran out of time. So then we fixed it for Netflix. And then Netflix is a kind of a different beast. Because normally it's a capture from just from the audience looking down at the stage. This is like side shots, rear shots, 
It's not quite a movie and it's not quite a musical. And then we looked and said, oh wait, there's a couple things that we can make even better. So then we had a couple brainstorming sessions and we like the last 20 seconds is different. We fixed that. We fixed a couple of things as we had, you know, we could do it. And then I go back into rehearsals October 11th to implement all these. And it'll be, uh, you know, we got like three chances and I, it couldn't be better. I think it's it's a great show. And that's great. Now, and now you, you've had this opportunity to, to make those tweaks with your other musicals. Have you had that opportunity? Is that something you're part of or do you just kind of take the book and then kind of put out the songs, you know, produce the songs and then just sort of send them on their way? Or or do you work with it all throughout the process? Oh, yeah, it's different than making a record. You know, you make a record and you're done. This is like, a, mm-hmm. you know, from from Joe DiPietro and I from day one, you know, when we start writing, it's just me and him in the studio, usually on Zoom because uh, he's in New York and uh, he doesn't want to drive to Jersey. I don't want to drive to New York <laughs> and he doesn't play anything. So I can sit here on the piano and play. And, and then we're both looking at lyrics and coming up with stuff. And, you know, we go from like noon to six and we put in six hours. I'll go, Hey, the UPS guy's here. Hold on a minute. Or, hey, I got to walk my dog or I got to get something to eat. And what will work and we work every inch of it. And then I'm like the first guy in, I turn on the first guy to turn off on the lights and the last guy to turn off the lights. You have to be there every day. And then we rehearse it and work it and do productions of it. And you got to be there every second because it's, it's such a living thing. You know, there's so it's, to me, it's the hardest algorithm you could ever solve because you got, you have a story. It has to break into song and not be stupid, you know, like in life. And I'm like, Hey, I have, you know, you, you can't do that. It's like that show Cops, you know, that's yeah. the worst fucking thing yeah. I've ever seen. And then you have to dance, you know, which is like, when is it, you know, when does the emotions break out to do that and, and doesn't look goofy? So it's like such like little, little subtlety things that I, that's what a part I love. It's like you keep honing, honing and you get to, then when you get into pre, you do all this work. And then when you get to previews, it's kind of a focus group as your audience. So we sit in there and I have like my little, my iPhone, you know, and everybody's like, get off your phone. I go, no, I wrote it. And I'm just bringing some notes and just watch a show and leave me alone. <laughs> and, uh, and you'll look like, did they get that joke? Are we ahead of them? Are we behind them? And, and then that night we talk about it. That morning I wake up early and fix it all as much as I can. And then we rehearse it for six hours. And then we go back on stage that night and do it again. So until opening night is like usually a, a couple of days before we have to freeze it because, you know, we, we're done. You run mm-hmm. out of time. And then yeah. opening night, you're never allowed to change after. You're okay. Once it's frozen, it's frozen. And then, you know, if you want to fix it, then you're like, okay, when we go to London, we'll fix it then. But that's Is it. that because of like the, the tech behind it, like the crew and that type of thing? Is that why you're not allowed oh, to? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you're, there's so much involved in it and uh, you just run out of time. And then, the, but the union, once you open up, you're, you're not allowed to change anything. That's mm-hmm. a rule. You're done. You walk mm-hmm. away and you go, my job here is done, Batman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to. Uh, yeah, I. I'm. When when does it come out on Netflix? October first. October first. I'm gonna watch. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I never understood musicals. Like when when I was a kid, my parents, as a Hanukkah present, took us all to see like Miss Saigon. And I remember sitting in the theater like, this is my fucking present? Like, <laughs> Can I have a toy? Yeah. I was like, I'm 11. What made you think that this was going to be? They were never great with, uh, with Hanukkah presents. I, I, I got a, they gave the whole family like belt, belt buckles once, like with your name on it. So I guess a musical for them was a big deal. But um, I'm the same. It's, it's the, the minute they break out into song or dance i'm like oh this just got weird but yeah. i'm i've been trying like i was reading about um i was reading about memphis last night when when i was doing some research and i was like oh that sounds like that's like early rock and roll that's that's a topic that i think i could actually get into and you could see that that was i was at a restaurant a couple months ago and the waiter goes hey i saw your musical i'm like how and he goes, it was on Amazon Prime. I'm like, really? So oh. I went home and I, it's on Amazon Prime. I paid seven bucks to watch my own musical. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, somehow I probably, probably made, sick of it by that point. No, I never had seen it because I, when we did it back then, you know, there wasn't really the whole thing about, there wasn't a streaming service in 2010, right. really. 
you know, that mattered. So we like, we did this capture and we're like, okay, great. I don't even think, I, I don't even remember seeing it. And uh, I, uh, I watched it with my wife. We're like, we're here at home. And I was like, okay, seven bucks. I go, I probably net, net three bucks. Somehow I maybe made four bucks on it. <laughs> and, um, and we watched, I was like, wow, that's really good. So you can watch it. Oh yeah. So that's like, that's an, uh, like seven cameras in with an audience. You know, that's a capture, if you will. This is, yeah, this right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I, Ken and I are obviously, we're both huge music fans, big concert fans, like love going to shows. I haven't been to one since before the pandemic. Um, it, you know, and hopefully, hopefully we get things cleared up soon. And obviously concerts are starting to happen and hopefully it gets back to eventually gets back to normal. Have you seen anything over the last year or so that has been a different way to either produce music or produce some sort of a live show, whether it's a streaming thing or whatever that you've really enjoyed that maybe like is hopefully a benefit of all this terribleness over the last few years. Yeah. You know, uh, during the pandemic, I recorded with Perry Farrell. Yeah. You know, from Game yep. Addiction, mm -hmm. which is the uh, which is the negative Bon Jovi. Um, <laughs> and like that's called Unlikely Bedfellows there. But we had met and then he during the pandemic goes, hey, listen, I got this one song and you want to play keyboards on it. I was like, wow, uh, sure. I you know, I'm switching thumbs on my ass over here. I got nothing to do. Uh, <laughs> why not? And uh, we no, normally you're in a room so you can, can you can, can collaborate, you know, on the thing. And we didn't have that option. So I was like, well, I think it needs, you know, like this, uh, like Bowie, scary monsters, like some, some kind of like space funk, cool line. And he's like, cool. I love it. And I just did it and sent it to him and he loved it. So it's called Mend. So that came out, I think, like last month, and it's on uh, Spotify. Yes, yeah, I've heard oh, it. Great. I've heard. I'm I'm a huge Jane's Addiction. We we just had a uh, Stephen Perkins on a few weeks ago from Jane's Addiction, and and for me, they were uh, all through high school and college. They were close to the only band I would listen to. Like I, I was actually kind of snobby about it. So um, when I when I saw that came out, I I listened to it right away. It is a very uh, Bowie esque song. Yeah, it's just, it just was cool. And Carol Hawkins is playing on Ellie Easton mm -hmm. in the cars. You know, I mean, I never I never met him. I saw their waveforms on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was like fun doing that. I'm like, OK, I'll do that. That's what else you're going to do. And then I uh, then a couple of couple of show. Like I said, last night at the Pony, I saw the struts, which are great. I mean, they've been they're probably the most promising young rock and roll band. Mm hmm. I've seen. Mm -hmm. And the front man is like, uh, he's great. He's like out there. He's getting everybody to clap and to sing along and like be, you know, an entertainer. And I thought, wow, these guys are like one gigantic song away from being the next rock band. Yeah. They is, really are. It's and it's it's. Does it bum you like does the state of rock bum you out a little bit? How? No, I mean, it's always the ebb and flow of what things are, right? You know, like people like this, like that. Like you get away from even like everybody got away from music and it was just DJs. And then everybody's like, well, the DJ is now playing with a drummer. And now there's a guitar player and a bass player. And then all of a sudden, like, okay, we're well, now we're back to humans again. <laughs> you know, collaborating with machines and like, okay, we're getting better. And then this was like humans playing to other humans. Like what? Are, and going, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, clap, you know, like. Let's get involved and all have a good time. I mean, that's the rock and roll I like. Yeah. Could, yeah. could you imagine trying to make it as, as a, like, do you feel bad for young rock bands now trying to make it where, where you're probably never going back to the selling 160 million albums worldwide because nobody even buys music anymore? It's, you know, yes and no. Like you look and go in our time, it was I always compare us to like door-to-door -door salesmen. You know, we had a knock on everybody's fucking doors to sell your brushes, mm -hmm. like around the world and every radio station and everything, because that's the only way you got to people was the radio. You went to all these stations around the planet and just, you know, did interviews and played and did everything you could. And now, you know, you can, you know, look at the, uh, you, you can go on Spotify or YouTube and, you know, get a billion streams, fucking billion. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you have an op, although there's a, seven trillion people are vying for that same space but at least you know there's something there's a different way to get to everybody so mm -hmm. i think you know and a good song's a good song at the end of the day a good song is a good song and a great song is a great song and a hit song is a hit song and it still will get there yeah you know but has, no. has, has writing the musicals has that changed your 
the way you view writing for rock music or even the way you listen to rock music? I think it just expanded my brain. Like Memphis was a nine piece band and they call them orchestras. I'm like, uh, Lawrence Welk had an orchestra. That's <laughs> no bubbles in this one. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and Diana has 16. So it like just, and then there's 26 singers. So like everything's in your brain. Like I'm in a band with five guys. Yeah. So like when we do vocals, it's, you know, it's all hell of a lot easier than 26 people. Mm-hmm. So it's just more complicated in that kind of way. But yeah, I like, I know I take what I, I learn in rock and roll. Then when I write it for, for Broadway, I know what gets people up. I know how to raise the stakes. I know how to get that emotional lift and I know how to explode. So everyone's like, ah, and then you know how to make it small. Mm-hmm. And, and that definitely helped. And then when I go back to, to rock and roll, like we were in the studio and we were doing 2020, I went right after Diana production in California, like two days later, I was in Nashville. I was like, I'm going to fucking die. I, I just was out there for like three months working 18 hour days. And I was like, I don't know if I even can do this. I said to John, but I go, give me two days. Cause he wanted to do it the next day. I go, I need two days just to, just to let my brain fucking get some ideas back in it. And, um, and I went to the studio and like, we're learning these songs and like, everybody's writing it down. And like, he's, uh, he's like, you're writing that down. I go, no, I don't need to. It just seemed like I, I, I learned like, you know, my dots of resolution were a billion and this thing needed five. So right. Like, you know, not to say it's any easier, but it's all about emotional, but I didn't, I didn't need that. I took all what I learned and put it into there. And it's even like starting a song. I'm like, okay, well it's in B minor. And I went to the major and I'm like, I'm playing at the piano. And John's like, it's in, in mine, B minor. I go, I know. I'm just playing an intro in the relative major. He goes, okay, just do what you got to do. <laughs> Step away from me. I go, give me five minutes. I'll have something great. Yeah. So it's um, almost like it, it's almost like the musicals put it in perspective for you. Like you said, not that it's easier, just that it, it almost makes you, because you became used to working on a much bigger production that it just makes you a little more focused. Not even focused. No, I mean, I'm, I, I got razor focus on both. I think it's just more complicated. Mm-hmm. There's just more pieces of the puzzle, you know, which really makes your brain like when you for the first day when like the band uh, the, uh, on, on Diana, when the band was in a room, you, know, you got 16 people, you got everybody fucking singing. I'm like, and I got sheet music, you know, that's like this long. And you're like, and everything's by the measure and you have to read and you have to know every fucking inch of it. I'm like, okay, the fourth beat of the 37 measure, that thing's wrong and this thing's and what about this? Let's change that. And I'm like, you know, you're going to have your brain's going to explode. And uh, it's so complicated. And then in the band, you're like, okay, this is okay, good. (laughs) You know, there's like four parts. I'm good with four parts. Um, What do you think is, what do you think America's fascination with, uh, the British royalty is like, like the fact that we fought so hard to get away from it. And then we've just spent hundreds of years obsessing on it. I always said, that's why I was amazed that uh, like when Hamilton went to England, I'm like, you know, nobody, like we have July 4th, we right. celebrate and shoot fireworks, not in England. They're like, Hey, remember we lost? Like nobody has, <laughs> there's no loser day. You know what I mean? You know, it's like, we don't celebrate. Remember the end of Vietnam? You're like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's no losers day. So when that went over there, like, I'm like, you really want to same like the same, this is the negative answer to what you're saying. It's like, we love the royalty that we fought. Now we love them. And they're like, well, we lost, but we love Hamilton, you know, and like Hamilton's, you know, it's the founding fathers, you fucking idiots. We, <laughs> it's, it's the story of us breaking up with you. It's yeah. We kicked your ass. You, know? I mean, you lost. There's no fireworks on that day. So the world is strange, but I think everybody loves that fairy tale. You know, I think the fairy tale thing about kings and queens is more more romantic than in reality. They would just go chop your head off. That's not romantic. <laughs> You're fucking dead. <laughs> and she was hot. You know what I mean? She was 19. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she was a hot 19 year old. You're like, wow. That's so funny that you say that because we're also wasn't it just the anniversary of her of her death like like within the last couple of weeks or something? Yeah, it was the end of yeah. August. I know. Yeah. Yeah, like the twenty seventh. Um, was the anniversary, and you go, wow. Yeah. She, she's my age, you know. It's like what it's such a shit, and she and and that, she was like 
37 you know she wasn't yeah. 40 years old like, yeah fucks. well it, it's, do you get any pushback from that like from from anybody like as far as like light do you have to like secure the life rights or anything or is it just sort of based on her how, how, do, how does that work no it's public domain mm-hmm. you know and, and nobody can they can't say don't sing that song we sang it nobody fucking sang it. right right um so no you're allowed to do all that you know so and people are like you know what about the royalty and what their what's their viewpoint on you it's really about there's there's no winners and losers. We don't take a side. We're not tabloided at all. If you really think about it, like everybody was, you know, the subtitle to me was always you're trapped in the kingdom. You know, here's the beautiful young virgin who loves the prince and the prince loves the older woman who's married and he can't have her. And he has, you know, his mother is, uh, you know, the queen and she's influencing his whole life. So it's this crazy love triangle. And there's nobody really, you know, there wasn't winners and losers. Everybody sort of was a victim of what they, you know, they got really nice shit, but, you know, as far as cars and castles and, um, but really they were all trapped in this world. So we kind of, I think as Americans, we could take a step back and Joe and I wrote a human story. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they happen to be Royals. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it would be like if two Brits wrote Camelot, you know, the, the, the Kennedy story. Yeah. I think they would probably be less removed, you know, or a younger person here who didn't even know the fuck who they were. Right. So, you know, that then I think it would be more romantic on their end. Mm-hmm. That's funny what you were saying about her being hot, because I remember um, when she died, I remember being in a bar. This is the closest I ever came to getting into an actual bar fight. Uh, when she died, I was at a bar and they were playing the coverage on the news and there was a like a drunk meathead next to me talking about how she was the hottest princess of all time. And I was like, no, because you're forgetting about Princess Leia in the <laughs> in the slave costume. And he he got very belligerent with me. He was like, he's like, you're not taking this seriously. She was the hot. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not taking your hottest princess of all time conversation seriously. <laughs> and but he was like wagging his finger in my face and poking me. And he, he was like, he was like, Princess Leia is not even real. You can't, you can't. I was like, no, she's the hottest one in the galaxy, dude. You've only got planet. And uh, finally he was like, no, she's not. And I was like, okay, she's not real. And then I went, um, oh, Princess Grace, you know, like Grace Monaco. I yeah, don't Grace even know. Kelly. Yeah, Grace Kelly. I don't even know what she looks like. I just knew I, that's the only other princess I knew. And yeah. so, right when the whole thing had died down, I was like, "Princess Grace," and then he like he he lunged at me. His friends had to pull <laughs> him off. I've never it was so weird because he looked like he looked like in a like in a like a contractor. Like he looked like he was in the electric union, but he was so fired up over uh, hot princesses. That's right. that's the thing I remember most from. Uh, <laughs> I said that too. I was like, well, she was a hot princess. Everybody in our marketing team says, you can't say that. I go, <laughs> okay. That was the original title of the yeah. musical that you pitched, right? Hot I Princess. Hot the princess. Yeah. It's not, that's not a bad B title. No, no. By the way, not to jinx you, but you have your, your Grammy and your Tony. You get an award for Netflix. That's your Emmy there. You might EGOT at some point. Uh, Emmy, Grammy, uh-huh. Oscar, Tony. Uh, do you have any, is, is there any, you've done so much. Is there anything else that you're looking forward to do? Like, oh, I've always wanted to conquer this form of media or this type of music or, or whatever it might be. No, I just, no, no. I mean, I keep, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the curious guys who always like if I always lift up a rock to see what's under there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, whatever's going to be there, it's going to be there. But yeah, I mean, this could be, and I always loved, I wanted to score movies. That's when I started, like in the nineties, I wanted to do that. But it's like, you got to move to L.A. I'm like, I am not moving to L.A. Uh, I'm from Jersey, and that's, uh, I can't do that. Yeah. There wasn't any internet or anything to do that. So I was like, okay. But I can, like, even in this Netflix, it's more of, like, the scenes. There'll be a song and then a scene. And mm-hmm. on the musical, on the stage, you want, you, you need a break from that. Mm-hmm. From any kind of music. So it's just dry, we call it. And in the movie, it was, you're just looking, it got a little boring. So we, I, I underscored almost all the scenes. So okay. To do like a movie kind of thing where you would underscore just the scene. It wasn't a song or maybe, you know, rent. It, it's always, I always do something that's not left field. It's always part of some song that's going to earworm you to go, oh, that's that melody. Oh, that's without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Did, did you see Hamilton? I did see Hamilton. 
And I saw the Disney Plus version of it because I wanted to see how they did it. Mm-hmm. You know, a genius idea taking on taking American story, the forefathers, you know, American white story, and put everybody that uh, that's not white in it. You know, that's you know, all, you know, God bless them. That's you know, Lin Manuel is like that's a great idea. It's hard mm-hmm. to sit here and go, hmm, what can I dream up? You know, and like there's yeah. a lot of bad ideas, and that was a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when that came out, my dad playing me the soundtrack and telling me how amazing he was like, you don't understand. It's it's the story of America and slavery told through rap. And uh, I was like, oh, well, then you'd probably like Public Enemy. <laughs> and I played him some of that. And I think he realized he only liked a very specific kind of American history lesson. And the- that's like theater rap. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's definitely not the hood. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's that's that's you know. It's that's a different. It's a different world. I mean, Lynn went to theater school and high schools, and you know. So, um, any plans to do more stand up? Is that something you want to explore a little more? You know, I had said to Gabby before I went up on stage. I said to her, I said, "Listen, I go. You know, at sixty-five years old, I said I'm retiring. I'm going to be like Victor Borg." <laughs> which most people don't even know like yeah. you know the play piano tell some jokes fall down you know do, <laughs> do his shtick and and i go and we'll do a duo she goes you know what i'll be 35 by then she goes fuck it i'll retire too so we're gonna do it <laughs> she goes i've had enough you know 35 hard years and um and i said we'll have a retirement tour so i keep sending her jokes and i write stuff down and we're, we're, we're working on her act but uh i would love to go up again because now i can i was like I, I filmed it so I can perfect it. I go, oh, mm-hmm. I fucked up there. I got there. It was good. Did did you get any did you get any decent laughs the the fed you? So I did my I said, you know, the disappointment said, come smoothly. She laughed, and I did the Bon Jovi playing, and then she laughed, and I go, Okay, I'm doing it. I go, okay, I so said this 80-year-old Jewish couple, Morty, Sadie and Morty, right? Sadie, they're in bed. Sadie gets up, she goes to the bathroom, she puts on sexy lingerie. And she jumps out of the bathroom and yells, super pussy. You know, Morty says, I'll take the soup. (laughs) Everybody laughed. I was like, yeah, yeah, tasted blood. Got him. And you do that playing piano at the same time. I mean, that's 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 an act right there. That's I love that. I love that idea. Yeah, it, 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 I, I was telling you, there's, there's a Jersey comic who I work with a lot who, who does the piano. Uh, Chris Covert, Chip, he's, he's been on yep. the show. He plays the piano and sings dirty songs, and he, he's just a fucking beast to follow. Like, if you, you have that piano, he's, he's a very talented piano player, too. Um, and you have that, and it's almost like an unfair advantage. I, I've only ever seen him. I, I booked him on my show at Gotham in New York once, so he couldn't bring the keyboard. And he just went up and did straight sand up and bombed. And it, I hope he's listening because it was the happiest. Like, it, it just warmed my cold heart to, I was they like. Call that, there's a German word called Forschung, which is the joy in others' misery. Yes. Oh, that's. that's <laughs> Leave it up to the, the Nazis know how to do it, you know. <laughs> I read um, after, uh, after Robin Williams died, I read an old interview he did in a German magazine where the interviewer asked him, why do you think Germany isn't known for stand-up? <laughs> Robin Williams says, well, for starters, you killed all your funny people. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite quote. That's a good one. Um, all right, David. I have thank- a German friend. Oh, I have wait, before we wrap it, I have one German friend. It's funny. He was our security guy. He still is forever. And uh, we were in Berlin uh, in the 2000, you know, not 10 years ago, 13 years ago, something. And uh, there was a thunderstorm, right? It was like, oh, the thunderstorm. And I was like, and I text him. I was like, oh, the Luftwasser. I go, I thought the war was over. And he texts back in his German accent. I could even, he goes, no, not over, just halftime. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. David, thank you so much for doing this. This this was so cool of you. I, I asked when I bumped into you last week and I asked you to do it, you didn't hesitate. And you were like, nah, you're a Jersey guy and we got to stick together. And uh, so we really appreciate it. And um, you, you want to tell the people where to find you, what to look for? Uh, you can find me on your show, on your social medias. Uh, David Bryan Music uh, on the Instagram uh, and the Twitter. 
and also on Twitter. I think David Bryan. I think I got away with. I couldn't get verified. That was the funniest thing. I, I went. I started on on Twitter a bunch of years ago, and I went to, to verify. They said, and I put all the paperwork and all that shit, and they went no. I'm like, I took a picture of me next to the paperwork. I'm like, and a Bon Jovi thing. I go, no. So I had to get the record company to verify me. Oh, man. They're like, you're not you. I'm going, I'm fucking me. Swear to God. Isn't that crazy that you have to prove that you're you? Oh, but yeah, check it. Diane on Broadway is, uh, uh, is the Instagram and websites and all that stuff. But check and, out the trailer. It's really yeah. I'm gonna And go it's Octo to October 1st on Netflix, right? Correct. And then November 2nd on stage at the Long Acre. You can buy tickets now on your favorite Ticketmaster dot whatever. I'm going to take my mom to that when it comes. She, she's always bugging me to go to a musical with her. And I, there's never been one that I've been curious enough about. But I, I'm, I'm going to take her to that. Yeah. And you'll get to preview it, you know, on uh, on Netflix. Normally, it's you do the preview. Yeah. And it's word of mouth and you're waiting it for to build and build and build. And this is like click 100 million people. All right. Yeah, that's wild. Well, good for you and congratulations. And again, thank you so much for doing this. And, yeah, thank you so much, David. You're welcome. Um, I'm sure I will bump into you at another show before too long. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, David. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next week.